You learn a lot when you blow up your life. When I was 34, I left a deeply toxic marriage. I like to think I spent the 14 years in that relationship figuring out what really doesn't work. Those of you who have gone through divorces or have had a ringside seat for one know just how explosive and messy they can be. The good thing about a big explosion, as mine was, and then going into seclusion for a while to recover from it is that it gives you time to think. I'd love to be able to place all the blame for everything that went wrong on my ex-husband, but it's simply not accurate. It does take two people to make or wreck a marriage, and I definitely had my part in swinging the sledgehammer. I like to joke that when people talk about the liberal elite, they're describing my family. We're educated, we're mostly well-off, and tend to have very impressive careers. There are more master's degrees than grandchildren in my family line. The thing that I came to realize in the aftermath of blowing up my life was that my inheritance isn't being the liberal elite. It's being a workaholic. Along with those stunning careers and academic achievements, let's just say there are a lot of relationship challenges in my family. We have more divorces than grandchildren, too. The tendency to give up everything in favor of being productive runs very strong for us. I've been some form of self-employed for years. I would work all day, make dinner, eat with my ex-husband, and then go back to my office and work until eight or nine at night. I thought it was virtuous. I thought if I worked hard enough, achieved enough, then somehow all the problems and insecurities in my life would resolve themselves. It's a toxic lie we're fed. My first marriage would have ended no matter what. There was a lot wrong in that connection, but I wonder if it would have been as ugly if I was not also married to my work. I learned from that mistake. I have very strong boundaries with myself about my work hours now. In the evening during the precious hours when my spouse and I are at home, I do not work. I could absolutely make more money if I did. But one of the most valuable lessons I took from blowing up my life is that happiness has a dollar value. And people love you back. Work doesn't, not even when you're self-employed like me. It's so perfect that we are talking about rest today, about pushing back against the workaholic hustle culture. Before the advent of electric light and sturdier weather-resistant transportation, this time of year, this colder, darker season was the time of rest. And it wasn't that long ago. My paternal grandmother, grandmother saw the advent of both indoor electricity and the automobile from her life to mine. Our culture changed dramatically. So here, as the winter solstice approaches, I invite you to connect to that deeper rhythm of winter. We co-evolved with these seasons, and their pattern runs more deeply in us than the new one of 24-hour news cycles and eternal electric sunshine. Rest is part of the natural world, and so are we. And figuring that out without blowing up a life 
is definitely the better option. As Irene invoked during our chalice lighting, can you feel the wheel of the year turning, whether we like it or not? In this season of each day becoming incrementally shorter, can you feel that inexorable pull here in the northern hemisphere toward winter solstice, the longest night of the year? That's why we light Yule Logs, right? The sixth source of our Unitarian Universalist living tradition is earth-centered spirituality, these teachings of traditions that celebrate the sacred circle of life and instruct us to live in a harmony with the rhythms of nature. And I am regularly grateful for reminders from pagan traditions and, and indigenous as well to keep tuning myself in more fully to the wheel of the year. There are four major turning points at the top, winter solstice, uh, the beginning of the year, uh, Yule as uh, the, the traditional holiday, or Christmas, right? Although Jesus wasn't born on, you know, Yule, right? Christians baptized that holiday and kind of co-opted it, right? So, uh, so that's at the top, and then directly opposite at the bottom, we get summer solstice, or Letha, when we notice that there's that swing from, it may, it's almost hard to remember sometimes when we only have 9.5 or so hours of daylight, the time is coming six months from now when we're going to have 15 hours of daylight, right? Uh, on the right, spring equinox. Uh, you're right over here. <laughs> spring equinox, also known as Ostara, uh, or in the Christian tradition, Easter. Now, of course, Easter is a, a pagan goddess of fertility, right? Ostara. Uh, that, uh, and if you're, so that's why you sometimes see Eastern Orthodox Christians, they call it Pascha after the Paschal Lamb, because they know they're trying not to be pagan because <laughs> they're aware. And so that equinox is more, you know, it's where there's equal parts day and light, right? Invitation to balance. And then on the flip side, fall equinox, um, Mabon. And as significant as these four, just noticing these four major turning points, they're pretty hard to miss, right? The four seasons, most of us are aware. As important as those four major high points on the wheel of the year are, I've come to particularly cherish the four cross-quarter days, right, that kind of bisect um, solstice and equinox, because they invite me to notice more subtle shifts. Though I will say, I also think it's important not just to be like, oh yeah, it's fall, but actually noticing, oh, today is equinox. Today is that precise timing really matters, but I also love these subtle shifts of noticing the cross-quarter days in bulk, or what we call in secular land, Groundhog's Day, right? But pagans were doing in bulk a lot for. It's that midpoint between solstice and equinox, and when the winter's starting to feel a little too much, in bulk, I find is this amazing reminder that we have reached the tipping point, that precise halfway point between solstice and um, spring. Or Beltane, May Day, right? That's the Maypole one, uh, celebrating that tipping point to summer. Or Lunasa, the first celebrating the first harvest, that tipping point toward fall. Or Samhain, Halloween, that tipping point towards winter, archetypally death, remembering ancestors. All this stuff relates. There's so much more to say about all of it. But approximately every six and a half weeks, the wheel of the year is calling to us to notice that it is turning and inviting us to realign ourselves more deeply with the natural rhythms of Earth, this planet on which we find ourselves, our blue boat home. Now, there are some schools of thought that invite us to consider that there are actually certain spiritual practices that may be particularly fruitful to experiment with 
in certain times of year. For instance, in spring, the most natural spiritual practice, and you do you, you know, you can do whatever you want whenever you want, you know, uh, but in spring, the most natural spiritual practices might be artistic and creative endeavors corresponding to this flowering of new life. Or in summer, you might notice yourself being drawn a little more uh, naturally to active, kinesthetic forms of spiritual practice. So uh, dance, play, games, walking the labyrinth, and more, particularly in the sun-drenched outdoors. Or in autumn, that might be a particularly ripe time to focus on transformation and change uh, in parallel to the leaves changing color and eventually falling, sometimes even blowing stuff up, right? I'm going to fall away from uh, the situation I'm in. Finally, in winter, we may find spiritual practices of darkness, of silence, of turning inward and saying no to be particularly Fruitful. Some of you I know practice that, that Danish spiritual practice of huga, right? Of coziness and comfortability, right? Warm socks and a blanket and a cup, hot cup of tea and a fire, you know, lighting a candle. Uh, that's, that's huga. Uh, but, with, but with winter solstice approaching on Wednesday, we are entering into a season in which the earth is inviting us to notice. Are there corresponding patterns in your own life that might benefit from just a little more or a lot more silence, like that hush after the first snow before everybody gets up and plays in it and, you know, muddies it up, to create more space and more stillness in your life? As an expert guide to what such a shift can look like, allow me to introduce you, for those who don't already know her, to the Knapp Bishop. Trisha Hersey. She says, I realized I had been navigating decisions from a space of toxic urgency. Have you ever felt like that? Like you were in a uh, Carrie Newcomer, the singer-songwriter, has said, I've been moving faster than my soul can go, right? She continues, I began to experiment with the radical notion of deliberately and forcefully slowing down. And that's how she came to found what she calls the Nap Ministry. And this actually uh, is similar to what I heard on my very first day of this three-year spiritual direction training I did back um, starting around 2007. As they said on the very first day, we're going to start slowly so that eventually you can figure this out and we'll go super fast. No. They said, we're going to start slowly so that later we might be able to slow down. Because most of us don't know how to slow down, Right. Uh, notice this photo of, of Hersey. She, it, it, she's in church with a bed, right? She's really interested in how rest can be deeply sacred. And le- let me hasten to add that the nap bishop is about a whole lot more than 20-minute power naps to increase your productivity. Uh, indeed, that goal is perhaps the opposite of what she is about. From a perspective that's deeply grounded in the past of, of black liberation theology and deeply pulled into the future by Afrofuturism, Hershey offers us this mantra, rest is resistance. She is a powerful and prophetic voice for rest as a nonviolent resistance to 24-7, 365, nonstop grind culture at a machine level pace to just keep working at a a nonstop um, pace. She says that grind culture wants to keep us going no matter what. I sit my butt down and daydream. The answer is no. Let's hear it for the spirituality of winter, right? (laughs) Hersey has described her tone as 
tender rage. Tender rage. Her intention is to jar us, to wake us up from grind culture enough that we might begin to give ourselves more permission to rest. She spent many years researching and weaving together the worldview behind her nap ministry. She holds a Bachelor of Science degree in public health, so part of what is deeply informing her is the science of sleep and how detrimental a sleep deprivation is. She also holds a Master of Divinity from Emory University's Candler School of Theology. So uh, rest is also a profound theological value for her. She's also an artist and has transformed many public spaces into what she calls collective napping experiences. Sacred safe spaces for attendees to publicly nap and benefit from the healing and revolutionary power of sleep. And although she champions rest for everyone, rest is a human right, she also advocates for rest for people of color and especially for African Americans as reparations. Rest as reparations. Forcing black bodies to labor was at the center of 400 years and counting of enslavement, of Jim Crow segregation, and the ongoing new Jim Crow of racially biased mass incarceration. Well-rested black bodies, she said, will be one key part of creating a new way of being in the world that truly centers peace, liberty, and justice, truly for all, not merely for some. Uh, the economist Kenneth Galbraith used to joke that, like, leisure is apparently very good for the wealthy, but, like, you know, very suspicious for anyone else. Uh, and the Nabbishes has prophetically proclaimed that a black woman rested is a radical act. And radical meaning getting to the root, right? Getting to the root of the problem. Hersey views her Nap ministry as a spiritual antidote, a spiritual antidote to the very earthly problems that are plaguing so many of our communities exhaustion, chronic diseases mental health crises, issues that she attributes to what Bell Hooks has called the white supremacist capitalist patriarchy. She is raising our collective awareness that sleep deprivation, not getting enough sleep, is a racial justice issue and it is a social justice issue. And she says powerfully, the refusal to grind, that is a political act. Do you know that old saying from the peace activist A.J. Musta that there is no way to peace? Peace is the way. The way we get to peace is you, you can't like bomb your way to peace, right? There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Hersey's message is like that. There is no working hard enough to earn rest. Rest is the way. Uh, I had a coach tell me uh, recently that if, you, uh, if you're always busy, you're not in a busy season. That's just your life. And, like, and, and the, the definition of insanity is keeping doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Like, you know, can you really find a way to not always be in a busy season? It's fine to work hard sometimes, but not 24-7, 365. Hersey contends that more rest for everyone, everyone is a pivotal part of moving us toward that better world that we dream about. Indeed, rest literally gives us the time and space to dream. It's really hard to dream and imagine that another world is possible if you never stop. She challenges us to come to see, in her words, that we exist in a culture that supports sleep deprivation. We have been brainwashed by capitalism to work at this machine-level pace. Like, we're not 
part of the industrial revolution, right? Like we have these bodies that have not evolved that differently in, in, you know, in a few hundred years. And we, we've been trained to equate our worth with how much we can produce, how many widgets, right? The same engine that drove millions of enslaved people into forced terror and brutal labor on plantations is the same engine that's driving grind culture today. Marx actually called it wage slavery, right? Because you really don't have an option if you're going to starve if you don't work. That's why we need a universal basic income. That's another sermon. Uh, Rest is a form of resistance because it disrupts and pushes back against capitalism and white supremacy. It says, no, I'm not a machine. I'm enough right now. Our collective rest and radical care will save us and will be a foundation, she says, for a new world that is rooted in liberation for all. On any day and at any time of year, the Knapp Bishop would say that there is no better time to start resting than right now. So if you're feeling a little sleepy, it's okay. Just go ahead and rest. If you fall asleep during the sermon, she would say, wonderful. Listen to what your body needs. And with winter solstice and the winter holidays approaching, it is an auspicious time to experiment with rest. That word holiday, right? It's a conflation of two words that we've kind of forgotten, right? Change that I to a Y and separate them. It's a holy day, right? A holiday is a a holy day. And holiness just means set apart for something different, different rhythms. Hersey was inspired to create the Nat Ministry during the three years that she spent working as a graduate assistant during Divinity School in Emory University's African American Archives. She got immersed deeply into those historical documents and learned in great detail about the daily lives of her enslaved ancestors, who were so often treated as if they were human machines. They were worked 20 hours a day. Women, when giving birth, the midwife came to take the baby, and the mother was expected to return to work the same day. Hersey says, that shook me to my core. Being a mother and having given birth myself, I could barely lift my head up, she says, after I gave birth. The details that people usually gloss over about the lived daily lives of enslaved human beings became so important to me, they haunted me. But, she says, what would my ancestors have experienced or done if they had been allowed space to rest? What a powerful question. I first learned about the Nat Ministry. How many of you have heard about it before? How many of you have heard? Okay, I see quite a few hands. Uh, First learned about it on Instagram, uh, where she has more than half a million followers. The archive in her feed, she's got 2,000 posts. You can uh, just kind of scroll back through there. Uh, A lot of good stuff in there. Uh, However, her most recent post shows that she is practicing what she preaches. After launching her first book in October and, and touring for a few weeks, you might expect her to still be promoting it. It quickly became a New York Times bestseller. No, she's on a two-month sabbatical in November and December. Sabbath time. No labor. No media. No requests. In her words, when I am taking a digital Sabbath away from social media, here is what I've noticed. Who's taken like an extended digital Sabbath? Anybody? All right, I see a few hands. She says, I come back feeling smarter. (laughs) I come back feeling less anxious and tapped into, this is the most interesting part, I feel tapped into an expansive energy that I was unable to access when I was just scrolling every day. 
An exodus and intentional detox from these platforms, they are a north star for rest practices. If you're interested in going deeper, I highly recommend uh, her new book that is titled, uh, short and accessible, it's titled Rest is Resistance, a Manifesto. There is way more that I can share with you this morning in that book. I read a lot of books, and it will easily make my top 10 books that I've read uh, this year. It's also available in audiobook, and I know that the Nat Bishop would approve if you decided to listen to this book while laying down in bed. (laughs) The medium is the message. There is no way to rest. Rest is the way. As the Nat Bishop, Hersey is inviting us to live into a much more human and a much more humane way of being in the world. What might it feel like, as Thich Nhat Hanh used to say, to just sit down and be a businessless person? No business, nothing to do, nowhere to go, leisure, unhurried, just receiving the day, receiving the moment. What does this look like specifically? How do we begin to do this. Here's a top 10 list from the Nat Bishop. She's got way more ideas than this, but here's just a few ideas of what resting can look like. It can look like closing your eyes for 10 minutes if you don't have time for 25 minutes, 45 minutes. You know, just closing your eyes for 10 minutes. Taking just a little bit longer shower, even just, you know, not just getting in there and soap and shampoo, but just taking a, taking a minute to just enjoy the, just stand there and enjoy the warmth. Meditating on the couch for 20 minutes. Don't feel like you have to find the perfect position, set up a cushion. She's like, just go meditate on your couch. And lying down is one of four classical meditation postures, right? It's not just sitting. You can also meditate standing and walking and just lying down. Uh, Daydreaming by staring out the window. No one's going to know if you're like looking past your computer. You know, just, just spend a little time daydreaming. Sipping warm tea before bed in the dark, right? That's that, that huga. Uh, doing just one yoga move, she, especially if you don't have time for a whole practice, just what one move does my body need right now? Or in particular, she recommends a sun salutation. If you're not sure what that is, Google it. Google knows. Our Google overlords will hook you up. Uh, not immediately responding to texts and emails. You know, putting your phone in that do not disturb mode, right? This is, I think, a good one in our age of Spotify just deeply listening to an entire full album of music. A meditative walk in nature. Nature can be so healing, what's sometimes called forest bathing. Just imagine you're just kind of walking to the forest and bathing in the forest. Or knitting, crocheting, sewing, quilting, fabric arts, playing musical instruments, you know, whatever works best for you that you truly and genuinely find restorative, recuperative, restful. As I begin to move toward my conclusion, I would be remiss if I failed to mention the number one question that Hersey has asked again and again and again. You, you may can guess it. It's some variation on, I'd love to rest more, but I got to get paid, right? I have to pay the bills. How is this possible? It's fair. It's a fair question. Her basic answer is to start what, what, where you can by carving out, again, just little places here And there, she writes, all of culture is working in collaboration for us not to rest. So yeah, it's hard. When we do listen to our bodies, though, and take rest, we can then feel extreme shame or guilt, right? That's another thing to wrestle with. But she says, embrace knowing you have been manipulated and scammed by a violent system. 
just recognizing that. You know, the first step is admitting you have a problem, and that's the beginning of the new world that together we can begin to create. So stay here and rest, even for just a few minutes each day. Resting is an embodied practice and a lifelong unraveling. It's not something that is trendy, quick, or shallow, she says. Resting is ancient, slow, and connected work that will take hold of you in ways that may be surprising. I think that's really interesting that by resting, dreams and imagination, a lot may come of it than than you can realize in advance. Let deprogramming from grind culture surprise you. Let your entire being slowly begin to shift. Get lost in rest. Pull up the blankets. Search for softness and be open to the ways that rest will surprise you and calm you. Along these lines, there is one other important connection that we're missing a vital part of this nap ministry if we think this is all on us to figure out as individuals. That is the lie of neoliberalism. Uh, sure, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's like you know, Reagan and Thatcher, right? Oh, we don't have time for that. But uh, so, sure, it may start with uh, you finding time and space to carve out even a little more rest for yourself and those within your immediate sphere of influence. In the coming days, that might look like leaning into those archetypal uh, winter spiritual practices of darkness, of silence, of letting go, of uh, searching for stillness. More broadly, rest as resistance is about something that is called communal care. Communal care means that we need to advocate for systems and structures and institutions in this world and in this country that are less hateful and greedy and delusional, which we're deeply mired in, and much more compassionate and generous and caring and wise. Communal care, when we share and support one another, makes rest increasingly possible for all. And I was heartened to see, and this is the last thing I'll say, I was heartened to see that my colleague, the Reverend Dr. Sophia Betancourt, uh, is currently the only candidate running to be elected in June as the next president of the Unitarian Universalist Association. And she is named Communal Care as one of her three main planks on her platform. She's previously one of the temporarily appointed co-presidents, so she's done some of this before. I'd hate to be running against Sophia Betancourt, so uh, I don't know if anyone else will challenge her, but we'll see. If you're curious, her other two uh, priorities besides Communal Care are collaborative leadership, and I love this, facing the unknown together. Just being honest, this is not a time for a 10-year strategic plan. This is a time for facing the unknown together and asking ourselves what wants to emerge. So she is on track to become the first black woman elected president of the UUA, and I think she has tremendous potential to be an incredible leader in the next chapter of our uh, collective journey in the larger UU movement. So I look forward to what may be to come. For now, as we hold all of this in our heart and you look inside yourself, what ways may I want to begin to practice this in the, the rest of today and in the days and weeks to come? Let's rise and body your spirit. Let's sing together hymn 352, Find a Stillness.